1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Stan Jastrzewski, the uh, news director of WFIU. And today we're going to talk about public school funding with three school superintendents from our area. Joining us in the studio are Monroe County Community School Corporation Superintendent J.T. Koopman, Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation Superintendent John Quick, and Brown County School Corporation Superintendent David Schaefer. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, and you can join the discussion by going to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Well, this is going to be a lively program. I think we we already have a stack of emails. We're going to have a lot of phone calls, but I wanted to start by sort of setting the stage. You're All three of you are facing some uh, significant cuts in funding from the state, and I want to give you an opportunity to start off by just... Telling us a little bit about what you're doing about it, Uh, Dr. Schaefer?
2: Mr. Schaefer? Mr. Schaefer. (laughs) We have in Brown County been looking at uh, funding cuts for three years plus right now. Um, uh, Brown County got behind on the property tax reassessment process from 2003, and uh, sometime during that time we got into a general fund imbalance. So since I became superintendent in – Two thousand and seven, we have dealt with fairly significant general fund uh, reductions, and uh, this year uh, the the word out of the state for us is uh, around six hundred thousand dollars in cuts um, and so we have been uh, in the process and have done many of the cuts that have been suggested in the in the public and out of the Department of Education previous uh, to this time. So finding these last rounds have been somewhat challenging for us. Up to this point in time, we've offered an early retirement incentive for some of our veteran uh, teachers and uh, to date have had six teachers that will take advantage of that uh, opportunity. It's an opportunity to uh, exchange teachers who are at the top of the pay scale with uh, people who will be essentially beginners and allows us a savings for each position. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, Dr. Cuban Well,
3: <clears throat> I think uh, what Mr. Schaefer had indicated in relationship to this being a general fund problem is something that I think that uh, needs to be highlighted in this conversation in the fact that it's not doesn't have anything to do with capital projects, doesn't have anything to do with transportation and the other funds that uh, that schools are supported with. It's, it's all general fund. And at least in the Monroe County uh, Community School Corporation, our general fund is comprised of 92% of personnel, salary, and benefits. So with the type of funding losses that we have uh, encountered, there are very few places that you can look up to make those funding shortfalls other than people. And so uh, we searched high and low in relationship to uh, where those expenditure reductions were going to be made. And uh, unfortunately, many of those relate to, uh, to people. We did try to think in terms of not filling positions that were open, uh, we did try to think in terms of uh, administrative reductions. we have some some uh, support staff reductions, and then of course, we also have some certified reductions and The certified staff comprises uh, uh, almost uh, somewhere between sixty five and seventy percent of, of our general fund of that ninety two percent that i that I spoke of. So unfortunately, we have to think in terms of of the classroom, the classroom teachers and those kinds of things. And so in in our contract, we have a provision whereby we can take a look at what they refer to as class size ratios. And so the board acts on that in in, uh, concert with recommendations that we get from each one of the buildings for class size ratios. We acted on that in February And there was an increase in what we refer to as those class size ratios, and that's the number of of students per teacher. And then they take that information and they equate it to the number of full-time equivalent teachers that that we have in the classroom. And through changing those class size ratios, uh, we were looking at approximately 45 people uh, just by changing our class size ratios. The unfortunate part is, is that 45 Uh, the number of people that we would look at as full-time equivalents in class size ratios uh, didn't even come close to the number of dollars that we need to save by way of expenditure. So we had to to dig deeper than that. And uh, so we looked in in terms of uh, things that were some things that we really like to have in place, uh, but maybe those services could be provided at another place and another time And uh, one of those things or two of those things actually um, were the uh, family and consumer science areas at the middle school and foreign language that we had offered at the middle school. Thinking in terms that we would allow those uh, programs to continue to operate at the high school and the kids could benefit from those things uh, at that level. Um, Our perfect storm kind of occurred in relationship to being underfunded from the the funding formula from the get-go. And that all started back in 1972 when they uh, froze the tax levy. And so we were underfunded uh, since that time and have been underfunded uh, from, from that point forward. Uh, we, we remain in the uh, bottom 20 percent of all school districts in the state in relationship to per-pupil funding. And when you're in the basement to begin with, it's hard to climb out. And that's kind of where we found ourselves The new revenue that we were anticipating this year amounted to 0.67 percent and we needed at least 2 percent to stay even and then we had – we lost 285 students and we also had a 20 percent increase in our insurance. So those factors really put us behind the eight ball to the tune of about $2 million going into the 2010 budget. And then uh, somewhere around the 1st of December is when the governor announced his budget reductions and he indicated that that was going to be 3 percent. And that 3 uh, percent actually equated to 4.55 percent. So our two $2 million problem that we anticipated uh, all of a sudden now is at $4.5 million. And then you add into – some unintended consequences of budget reductions and that equates to people and when you lay off people, then you have to think in terms of unemployment compensation. And so all of a sudden now we're at $5.8 million in relationship to making sure that, that we're covering ourselves uh, because we have a statutory requirement to balance our budget December 31 of 2010. And unfortunately, we have contractual obligations that take us through August and so we're only going to be able to realize about nine of our payrolls in order to uh, meet our uh, uh, balanced budget by December 31, but we only have a third of the year in which to do that, and that is going to take us deep into our small cash balance, and our small cash balance equates to about $2.7 million, and uh, so by the time you take – that into consideration and how we have to structure these budget reductions, we're going to be lucky to balance our budget with about $500,000 in a $70 million budget. And that's not a lot of wiggle room, and we're very uncomfortable with that because any kind of a hiccup it can take that $500,000 down to who knows what. So we, we're being very, very cautious in our approach to this. Uh, we hate to lose any services to kids. We hate to lose any of our staff members. But unfortunately, uh, we have to make uh, expenditure reductions, and we have very few ways to do that. Mm -hmm.
4: Perfect storm. All right. Uh, Dr. Quick? uh, There are a lot of similarities in Bartholomew County to what I've heard from David and JT. Uh, Ninety-four percent of our uh, general fund is people and and benefits to those folks. Uh, The $3 million um, uh, cut from the state is, again, about four and a half percent of our general fund – uh, that would we would expect from the state this year. Uh, a little bit different uh, from David and JT has uh, been able to to be in this spot a little longer and have been surrounded by, you know, a team for a longer period of time. And we're able to build up some reserves and some rainy day for us, uh, which, buys, which essentially just buys us a little time. Uh, so we're not looking at wholesale reductions, but st- certainly uh, student selection uh, will drive uh, uh, some of our staffing next year. We're not planning on eliminating programs, but we may reduce the number of sections that might be offered in that particular uh, discipline and so forth. Uh, we have 50 to 60 new faces in our organization every year. And so we're looking every time there's someone that that, that uh, is internal, turnover are either in retirement or attrition, uh, how can we cover that? Uh, I don't think that uh, I'm not advocating a hiring freeze because if we lose a a 12th grade English teacher or a a physics teacher or a chemistry or math teacher that's hard to find, we will try to get the best and the brightest right away. But we'll probably have 200 folks that are vying for every elementary ed position. So we might wait a little while on that one to see how we do. So there's a lot of uh, similarities uh, uh, to and we're very concerned about the long term. I mean, how long is it going to be before we see any any new money uh, from the state. Is that 12? Is it 13? Is it farther out than that? So, we're really concerned, uh, you know, about what is going to be the new normal here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, we, uh, and if we do get an increase, it's probably going to be on a new base uh, that was established after the cuts. So, uh, you know, I, I feel some of the the same pains that uh, my colleagues are, are feeling here.
5: I spoke with Tony Bennett, the state school superintendent, mm-hmm. last evening on our In Focus uh-huh. program and One of the things he told me was that even if more money were to be given – Uh, to education. He says that it's his position that that the numbers bear out, that throwing more money at this doesn't – at education doesn't necessarily improve outcomes. He says, therefore, you have to find efficiencies and therefore it's okay that the $300 million cut was made and that the state funding formula is where it is. And he says he's not uh, on, for instance, the side of Senator Vi Simpson who says the funding formula may need to be scrapped next year and we may need to start from scratch. Is there is there any validity to his argument, do you think?
3: I'll kind of jump in there uh, in relationship to does throwing money at anything solve problems? No. What money does give you is the opportunity to provide quality programs through quality personnel. And quality personnel are going to cost you money. And quality programming is going to cost you money. Now, does that guarantee results? No, it really doesn't guarantee results because the complexity of the issue goes beyond what happens in the classroom. You know, we we have poverty issues. We have parenting issues. We have a multitude of other issues that come into the classroom that, that our teachers and administrators are expected to take care of in relationship to Um, taking care of all the needs for all of the kids that come through our doors as a public uh, school. So um, I think in part throwing money at a problem doesn't necessarily solve it because it is a a people problem. But I think you have to have money in order to attract people to any profession, whatever it is. And so if we're going to be able to attract high-quality, high-caliber people, we have to be able to offer them Uh, a salary that's commensurate with their talent as well as benefits that are commensurate with their talent because if we don't, somebody else will. So I think that's one issue that we have to take into consideration. Um, As far as scrapping the the funding formula, that's a difficult issue. Uh, The funding formula in the state of Indiana, as it probably is in most states, is very, very complex and tries to take into consideration many things. And there isn't an easy answer to that because of the complexities of the situation. Uh, Dr. Quick's situation in Bartholomew County is different than Monroe County, I mean, Monroe County is different than Brown County, and the the 292 school districts throughout the state all have different situations that require uh, different funding mechanisms. Urban schools are different than growing and suburban schools. Rural, rural schools are different than, uh, than either one of those. So to, to craft a funding formula that meets the needs of all of those is very, very difficult. And so in, early, in urban districts where you have high poverty and a multitude of other issues, uh, that's a lot different than, than rural districts, so to speak, they don't, that don't have as many of those kids and those, those parents that they have to deal with. So it's, it's a very, very complex problem and there are no easy solutions. Um. For one of the
4: uh, factors in the funding form that I think that we're missing is the teacher experience piece, and I know that there's a recent lawsuit about the fast-growing school districts, and we're one of those that are grow about 1 percent a year, and we shrank a little bit last year, but we grow 1 percent a year, and the teacher experience factor for many of us here is we have many veteran teachers compared to the school districts that are growing quickly, so it costs us about $60,000 in salary to put a teacher in a classroom, fast-growing school district may only be $40,000 per teacher. So there's a $20,000 gap between that, and the experience factor is not in there. So I would advocate if you're going to look at, you know, there's so many factors, and and J.T.'s right about it. Are everybody's circumstances unique? But one of those things is what does it cost to put a teacher in the classroom? And for many of us with with senior faculty, it costs a little bit more. And while, you know, throwing money at a problem, I know you're going to hear that a lot, but at the same time, those uh, states that Uh, folks at uh, Indianapolis would say are are doing this better, Uh, Florida or Texas or some of those that were held up recently, you look at the amount of money they spend per pupil, and it certainly exceeds Indiana. So there's a little bit of contradiction there in in some of that. Uh, But to give you some idea of relativity, uh, of how much money it takes, to reduce the student-teacher ratio by one student across my district with 11,500 kids takes a million dollars to reduce the student-teacher ratio by one. So that gives you some idea of the scope and how you could use money. So that's if an we And an additional think,
5: million dollars into your budget. Right.
4: That would be an additional million dollars. So that tells you about the scope and it tells you about, you know, uh, of, of what we're dealing here.
2: We're, we're operating in Brown County on um, a planned general fund expenditure for 2010 of $13.5 million. I'd echo what uh, J.T. and John have said about the amount uh, that personnel make up of that uh, we 're eighty uh, nine percent of our general fund is made up of salaries, benefits, and people expenditures, so there 's not a lot of room as we as we make reductions uh, to effect cuts without impacting our staffing and I think we have a responsibility uh, as uh, people who operate. An institution that is funded by tax money to be as frugal and effective with uh, making the money go as far as it can as we can possibly be, uh, and I think we 've worked very hard on that um, as a rural small district, a district that has uh, in brown county we 've had a, a modest reduction over six seven years of about twenty students uh, a year and uh, over the past three years, we have uh, reduced our general fund expenditures by about a million and a half dollars, not counting this uh, $400,000 to 500000 that we may yet be facing for this year. So I feel like we're working very hard. Everybody pays too much in taxes, and I think we all have an understanding of that as taxpayers. And yet uh, trying to solve the math problems that we're facing is uh, – Uh, very, very challenging at this point in time for us because people want uh, the best bang for their buck that they can get and they want the best education for their children that they can have, and we want that too.
1: I wanted to uh, mention – Dr. Quick mentioned a lawsuit, and there is a lawsuit. Three Indiana school districts have sued the state over the funding formula, claiming that it's not fair to to their district. So it is a Mm -hmm. controversial topic. We have a phone call, so let's go to Sherry on the phone. Sherry?
0: Hi. Um, I had several things that I would like to um, ask you about. First of all, I I take issue with the fact that we pay too too much in taxes. I think that as um, a democracy, we always pay what we need to to support the public good, and that includes schools. Um, But I wondered, even though you don't think a lawsuit is always right, why we haven't been part of a lawsuit before when we are funded so low Um, according to what we really should be getting. I believe at the meeting last Tuesday, someone said we were in the bottom 18%. seems to me that um, we ought to be the same as one person, one vote. If we are one person, we should all get the same amount of money for our education. Also, I'm wondering if the cuts are still being considered for an across the board cut for the teacher's salaries. And if that will include the administrators, and I know possibly you can't answer that for maybe the board members or the other administrators, but you could answer it for yourself. And lastly, I would like to know about the referendum. I was told that if the referendum goes to a vote in May, it's for a completely different kind of referendum than it would be if we did it in the fall, whereas in the fall it would possibly raise taxes. However, if we did it in May, it would be as a redistribution of the funds that we already have. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, I think those are for, for Dr. Koopman. If you could uh, be fairly quick with your answers. I know they are difficult questions.
0: Well, let me
3: address the referendum. I, I think that Indiana is quickly finding itself in a position of becoming a referendum state and that every community is going to have to answer that question for themselves in relationship to, if you want quality programs for your community, then you're going to have to support that through a referendum. And uh, obviously, I'm trying to school myself in relationship to a referendum. And uh, as a matter of fact, I attended a, a workshop yesterday about a referendum. I'm trying to schedule an individual to come into our community to talk with us about a referendum and I think that that's a a distinct possibility that if our board wants to support a referendum that we will host a referendum in in our community. Uh, I don't think May is the appropriate time for a referendum. I think that is uh, way too fast to organize an effective referendum and if we lose a referendum we can't bring it up again for a year. Uh, It's debate right now in relationship to May 4th being the date this year, May 3rd being the date next year, and does that constitute a full year or does it not? Uh, I I think that has to be decided by the court because it probably could be argued either way in in relationship to 364 versus 365 days. But... um, I think that not only in Monroe County, but I think uh, many school districts throughout the state, if they want to continue to provide programming and maintain staff, they're going to have to think in terms of a referendum.
1: Let me follow up because I, I think what uh, Sherry was also asking about is I know when at the uh, community conversation on Wednesday, I think it was uh, Peggy, Peggy Welch who's talked about different kinds of referendums, one that would... Be revenue neutral, and that seemed that sounded like what she was talking about. Which, in essence, would take money from the transportation fund and capital projects funds and put it, move it into the general fund. So I think her her question was: if is there a difference? I mean, if you did one in May, would you have to do it that way instead of the other way?
3: No, I don't necessarily think that you have to do it one way in May versus another way in in uh, November. Um, I think – I'm thinking in terms of we're going to be going through this again in 2011 and I think 2012, unless something is done, is going to be a, an absolute nightmare as far as school funding for school districts because that's when the stimulus money that currently has been supporting uh, or propping up the last two years of this biennial budget is – that money goes away and uh, is the state going to have the revenue to support that in 2012? Well, some, some dramatic turnarounds are going to have to happen by way of revenue stream for that to turn around in 2012. Um, so in, in relationship to planning for the future, uh, I don't know that I could make a referendum uh, tax neutral because I'm thinking in terms of some doing some other things with that money in capital projects and transportation is on such a thin line anyway. Uh, there may be a little bit of of wiggle room there, but there's certainly not a lot in relationship to the amount of money that I would expect to come out of a referendum.
1: Okay, our other two questions: one was, are, have you considered joining the lawsuit, or why you know, would you consider suing the state over the funding formula?
3: Well, uh, there was actually a suit filed, I believe it was either in 1989 or 1990, in relationship to adequacy and equality of of funding in the state of Indiana. And uh, there were several school districts, if not almost all the school districts in the state that uh, participated in in that lawsuit. And at that particular point in time, we were promised by the legislators if they made some amendments to the funding formula, would you drop your lawsuit? And so uh, with that being understood, the lawsuit was dropped and uh, not a lot of amendments were done with the funding formula – and to my knowledge, there haven't been any other lawsuits that have been uh, occurring since that time until Hamilton Southeastern and Franklin Township and Middlebury have uh, now filed their recent lawsuit. I did uh, talk with uh, Dr. Brian Smith, who's the superintendent of Hamilton Southeastern yesterday, and asked if uh, he would be inviting others either through participation or an amicus if we could participate with him. Um,
5: So that means you're interested in in joining the suit?
3: Well, possibly. I don't know the content of the suit. I've not seen the lawsuit in relationship to what they're looking for. But if it would be beneficial to our school district and others throughout the state, I would certainly have to have conversation with our board about that.
1: Okay. And then the third question, I'm going to open this up to all three, but I guess we'll start with JT because I think this was a Monroe County Community School Corporation patron. Um, She asked about the idea of teacher salaries being either, I guess, freezing the uh, increment or reducing their salaries and then also would the administration, I mean, I think she means you three, um, lower your salaries? We
3: we have frozen all administrative salaries and with the uh, insurance increase, um, everybody that's been taking insurance, uh, that's actually money out of their pocket. I think everybody in the school district, administrators included, um, and I can only speak to the administrator side of this, is that we've frozen administrator salaries. We've not filled some administrative positions, and we're going to do do some things uh, in relationship to the administration. The uh, teachers' association, uh, we are still in negotiations with them in relationship to some modifications of their of their teacher contract. And I'm, I'm not at liberty to really mention what that happens to be at this point in time until they ratify it and our board accepts it. But I think some concessions are being made by our Teachers Association in relationship to um, some salary concessions. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing it by way of what we refer to as the increment, but they're thinking in terms of doing it in another manner. OK. All right.
2: We, we're involved currently in – Teacher contract negotiations also and 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 I don't know that I can categorize exactly where we are in terms of of um, reductions Our teachers have gone for a number of years in Brown county without any kind of significant salary increases based upon the financial picture as I've previously described it here on the show, so our people have waited. For a number of years in terms of raises with the exception of the incremental raises that are built into the collective bargaining agreement. That's something that that uh, has been provided for our teaching staff. Also, the Board of School Trustees in Brown County has um, provided uh, for some additional costs in relationship to the cost of health insurance for our support staff and for our teachers. Uh, to answer the patron's question about cuts – Uh, We have tried to follow uh, with our administrative uh, group uh, raises that have been similar and and not incremental as far as our administrators are concerned. As J.T. said, we've had cuts in administrative staffing as well. And if we were to have teacher cuts, I think that we would look very closely at administrative uh, cuts in terms of the... Uh, salary levels that we are on. I, I don't know where that's going mm-hmm. at this point in time. I think that will be a difficult thing to accomplish in the context of collective mm-hmm. bargaining in the in the day and age that we're in here in Brown County because of the recent history that we have had.
4: Mm-hmm. Dr. White? We're in a status quo contract, uh, so uh, it's ongoing talks, but there, there weren't any raises for this year. We have take a, a systems approach in the last several contracts uh, – uh, where we've looked at uh, administrators, support staff, and teachers, uh, kind of a three-legged stool sitting down together and trying to, to make this work. For example, uh, our board in 06 said uh, we're not taking uh, health insurance anymore. We know that that's, that's an issue, and they they stepped up to the plate there. But uh, our, whether you're a bus driver or whether you're a principal or administrator or whether you're a teacher, you, say, you pay uh, the same premium for your health insurance and have the same plan off. Uh, uh, offerings. When we look at raises, we look at it all together. Uh, and so we've, we've taken a kind of a system-wide approach at that. And we think that that has probably uh, served us uh, pretty well in recent years. But we're, at this point, we're in status quo because of all the uncertainties.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to have to take a break. We've uh, gone a little bit over our normal break time. We're talking with uh, three area school superintendents about some of the funding issues that they're facing. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be
5: right back.
6: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, If you miss one that's okay. They're archived on our website wfiu.org and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at
1: 7:45. Welcome back. To noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Stan Jastrepski. and today we're talking about public school funding with J.T. Koopman, the superintendent of schools in Monroe County Community Schools, John Quick, who's the superintendent of the Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation, and David Schaefer, the superintendent of the Brown County School Corporation. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, and you can also go to the website, w WF5- f
5: I want to follow up with an email question from Chris. Uh, This is something that hasn't quite been addressed. Uh, We said that uh, at at least in MCCSC, there's been a freeze on administrator salaries for right now. But Chris wants to know uh, if the three of you would be willing to take pay cuts in order to save a teacher's job.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll take that one first. That's a hard hard question to – to ask. um, I would say probably my answer to that would be no, I would not want to take a pay cut. Um, As we look at the various cuts that we have to make, we've tried to make those cuts uh, uh, impact all levels of our staffing, support staff, administration, and teaching positions. And uh, I think the assumption there might be that – The superintendent's position is an overpaid position and therefore a cut might be in order. Um, As I said, I think if we were to have uh, cuts in salary, then I think that would be something we would look at for our administrators. So that's the answer I would give that question. Other thoughts?
3: Well, I think that we have tried to uh, mitigate our financial situation across the board with support staff, administrators, and teachers and i don't think that uh you know a, a cut by the superintendent is it, that's that's a drop in the bucket uh, in in relationship to the issue of of a 5.8 million dollar problem and uh i think everybody has value in relationship to what they contribute in the school district and that would be support staff that would be all administrators that would be teachers and so to say that somebody has more or less value in relationship to what they're paid is not the issue here. The issue here is that we have to balance our budget by December 31 of 2010, and there's only so many ways that we can accomplish that.
4: I guess my answer would be it all depends. Again, we have tried to look at, at uh, things uh, as a district so that we – Uh, Look at whether you're an administrator or support staff or teachers, similarly so. It it all depends upon what comes out of talks.
5: Let me go back to something that uh, Superintendent Bennett has been saying and he's been critical in recent weeks of some superintendents, he says, are not doing a good enough job at talking to, for instance, teachers unions about making pay concessions uh, there. Uh, I know we briefly addressed uh, what's going on in Monroe County. But I wanted to know if if that is something that could be done more or if the, the other side of that is that teachers say and have long said, look, we're not getting rich off this job. Uh, what is there to lose uh, other than good teachers?
3: Those are, those are really two, to, two separate issues as far as I'm concerned. Um, we, most of us have contractual obligations in relationship to uh, timelines and notifications, and I would venture to say that uh, in all of the school districts that I'm aware of, there have been ongoing conversations with the teachers' association, and uh, they've not been excluded. the the uh, The difficulty is that the fact is that the buck stops here, and uh, you know somebody has to make a decision in relationship to balancing that budget there are timelines and obligations that we have and uh, in our particular situation it's march first and so you know we have to make determinations in relationship to when these decisions are made so that our board has the opportunity to reflect on it in a meaningful way that our teachers association has an opportunity to reflect on it in a meaningful way and then a timeline for a decision and then those notifications have to occur in relationship to the timelines in our contract as well as statutory obligations established by the state of Indiana.
2: Collective bargaining with the teachers associations exists by act of the Indiana General Assembly and uh, it dates back to the 1970s. There are some very specific rules which relate to what can happen at collective bargaining and uh, I, I can say for Uh, the folks in Brown County that we have uh, lively and ongoing contract negotiations, at least through the uh, 15 years that I have been in Brown County, that has been the case. It is a process, uh, and I think that uh, in speaking for us, uh, we do the very best that we can in trying to accomplish uh, the idea of, one, providing quality education for our boys and girls, and two, providing as much in, uh, that is available in salary and benefits for our teaching staff.
4: We certainly value our teachers, and they've been part of the process. And, and they've stepped up to the plate in the past. I've been in the district a long time now, and in 96, the teachers opened a contract and, and reduced the raise that they were anticipating. And, and that's the kind of folks that we have that are coming to the classroom. So they're, they're a partner in this, and I think they, they know that where we're at, and they're helping us uh, find ways in which we can reduce.
1: We have a lot of emails. We have a lot of we have a couple phone calls. I'm going to ask a very quick email question. I think it should be a quick answer. Is fundraising an option to uh, save jobs, and I would add to save programs if people want to go out and raise money for a certain thing?
3: Well, I can respond to that. Um, I can think of very few things that are going to raise the amount of money that we need. Uh, The other part of that is sustainability. You know, this is an ongoing problem. Uh, This problem is not going to go away anytime soon. And for anybody in our listening audience to think that this is a one-year problem or this is a local problem, uh, take a look around the country. Take a look across the state of Indiana. And uh, it is a very, very significant and um, – very difficult problem for all school districts, all communities to be dealing with right now. Whether it be in Indiana or whether it be in other states, and uh, so it, it's uh, it's not a short term problem. It's a long term problem that's going to re- that's going to require long term long term solutions. And, and fundraisers, as nice as they are, um, who am I to say, okay, this amount of money is going to go here, and we're going to let this program stand and we're going to let this program fall? Uh, I certainly don't want to be in a position to say that. Uh, however, we are making decisions in relationship to programming. And uh, so with this being a long-term prog- uh, problem, to say, okay, we're going to buy six months or we're going to buy eight months or whatever it happens to be through a fundraiser um, is, is simply buying time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to think in terms of, of a longer-term solution. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. We have a couple phone calls. so Let's go to Susan on the phone. Susan? Hi,
0: yes. I have a question about the – um letting go the all cutting all the assistant principals in the elementary schools, but none at the high school level, and it was my understanding that they just uh hired two new ones recently at one of the high schools
1: okay Dr. Koopman, I think that 's for you
3: that does sound like monroe county doesn 't it yes mm-hmm. um Again, I I want to address our listening audience in terms of that's what's happening this year. Other options may be available to us in the next two years or ongoing. And so we're, we're trying to, as I've heard, as I've said many, many times before, we're trying to take one bite of the elephant at a time. And we can't solve all of our problems all at one time. And so we're trying to take care of this for right now, and these are the solutions that we've proposed for right now. And to think in terms of doing other things for 2011 and 2012, uh, we may be thinking in terms of that for the future. Uh, Right now, I can't say.
1: Okay. Let's go to the next call, and it's Judy. Judy?
0: Hi. This is Judy, and my question is um, have you considered, instead of eliminating the librarians at the elementary and the middle school levels, instead of eliminating that entire program that supports literacy and student motivation and achievement and therefore test scores, but instead reducing the amount of librarians in our elementary and middle school? Thank you.
3: I think that uh, that was an option that has been talked about, and we will continue to have that ongoing conversation, at least in Monroe County. And I don't know what... uh, Brown County or Bartholomew County has done in relationship to their staff reductions. Um, I I just want to continue to reiterate is that, um, you know, I have to come up with $5.8 million and I have limited options in which to to do that. And so uh, if not that, then what is kind of the question that's out there.
1: I'll ask the other two superintendents. Do you have certified uh, teachers in your elementary school librarians?
2: We we eliminated a position uh, of elementary school librarian, which covered four elementary schools in Brown County. um, I believe it was two years ago. And uh, we we continue to have a support staff person who covers our library. And then uh, we have assigned supervision of the elementary libraries to a middle school certified librarian. The decision that you make in these kinds of things is what is the – what is the least impact, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and certainly I know there are many people who have some strong feelings about Mm -hmm. uh, the position of of librarian. We felt like that was preferable uh, in comparison with the elimination of an additional classroom teacher Mm -hmm. position. Uh,
4: We share staff. Uh, So while we have 11 elementary schools, they share a few professionals, and then there's a paraprofessional that would be in each building. So Mm -hmm. it's not a one-to-one
1: staffing. Okay. And we have another call. It's Joe. Joe. Joe? Yeah, hi. Uh,
3: I'm very uh, interested in the uh, conversation, especially the part uh, where uh, the previous caller emphasized that uh, superintendents take uh, some kind of uh, pay cut uh... now
1: ideally i i should think that as the leader of the system um, you know they'd want to set an example by doing that but there is the problem that uh... the
3: superintendents are responsible to the board uh... all the other administrators and teachers um then negotiate with the superintendent as the representative of the board so uh, what i think is really lacking here uh... is the fact that boards when they write contracts with superintendents Uh, should include that uh, when times are tough.
5: I'm afraid
1: we just lost Joe. Yeah, I think we did. I'm not sure how that happened. It wasn't on purpose,
5: Joe. So, <laughs> all right. Stand well, yeah. I think, well, I think what Joe was getting at is that uh, he wanted to see – and, and he was wondering if, if you thought that it would be worthwhile talking about a different way to sort of collectively bargain and and build in sort of not just a rainy day fund but rainy day procedures for cost cutting such that when things come down the pike, we already know on paper here's what's going to happen. Is that a realistic solution?
3: It may be a realistic solution, but I don't think uh, many of us anticipated the the problem, and so this came upon us pretty quickly. Um, as I said at the outset, uh, because we were underfunded, uh, we anticipated uh, a problem, and then all of a sudden in December, which doesn't give us a lot of time to make adjustments, the governor came out and announced that he was going to make further reductions to our budget. So you know 2020 hindsight is one thing but you can't look into the crystal ball and see that far down the road well
1: let me ask about the the economy obviously has played a major role in this mm-hmm. how much of a role has the switch of the uh, of, of property tax reform the fact that public schools were taken off the property tax rolls and put uh, in in the, um, the State's budget, where it's fun- – the schools are funded with, with income taxes and sales taxes. You know, which one is the biggest uh, issue, I guess, is what I'm saying? Uh, Dr. Quick? It's, it's been a huge issue.
4: I mean, how many school folks did you say we're, we're concerned about the stability when you go away from property taxes? Uh, and then, lo and behold, when could there have been a worse time? To, you know to transition over to something that 's more sales tax based so it 's been huge, and that's really hasn 't been a lot of the conversation and you know it 's kind of hindsight, and I know that was a decision that that you know we made as a state to go this way uh, and um, while you know we 're filling in in the public schools maybe uh, because we 're talking general fund uh, some of the other places maybe those cuts are across multiple budgets I mean their capital budget their you know their debt budget or, or whatever budgets that they might have but in uh, k twelve you know we 're talking
3: general fund so it it 's hit us a little harder and deeper mm-hmm. and and i would I want to kind of echo some things that that I was hearing John say in relationship to uh, to property taxes. And uh, that's what we refer to as circuit breakers. And uh, Franklin Township uh, is is probably, unfortunately, the poster child as a very, very fast-growing school district that had the need to add significant number of staff, build a significant number of buildings in relationship to uh, simply a reflection of what, what was happening in their community. And then when uh, the property tax... Uh, Situation arose in relationship to that being removed from how they fund schools, and then circuit breakers were put in place that was really compounded to franklin township 's problem and Unfortunately in monroe county we don 't have circuit breaker issues we 've been very uh, fortunate not to have that and uh, but when the state and i and i, I don 't know if if many of our listeners understand that the uh, state of Indiana took over the general fund from school districts and really took a lot of that control away from us and at the same time that they took property taxes away as as a funding mechanism and then it became sales and income tax generated. Uh, that was huge by way of, of how revenue flows into school districts. Now, with that being said, it's my understanding that the revenue for the state of Indiana Uh, their projections have to be $1.1 billion in additional revenue to stay even with where we are now, even after the cuts. And so we're going to be very carefully monitoring what that projection looks like for the revenue for the state of Indiana because, quite honestly, we're anticipating another cut, possibly either in June or December of this year because I don't think the state is going to be able to generate the revenue to meet their obligation for the general fund budget, even for the remainder of this year. (laughs)
1: One of the things that we've alluded to is the the stimulus money and I think uh, the term that I've heard uh, most recently is stabilization funds for schools Mm -hmm. and I just don't think we can say that enough that these stabilization funds are what have been basically propping up school budgets in the state. For instance, I mean do you know how much you've been getting in, in Brown County? How much stimulus money has sort of come through the pipeline, so you could operate at the level you 're operating now
2: We, we had about uh, i think it was five hundred and some thousand dollars in uh, money allotted to special education, and I believe it was another one hundred and fifty or sixty thousand dollars in title I monies uh, that's and, reading reading uh, right re- that's re- reading uh, mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. and we uh, as we planned for that, we obviously use some of that money to help us with general fund issues that, again, I have previously referred to that go all the way back to 2003. Now, we did try to be very, very conservative about that. And uh, (coughs) I think we funded uh, three teachers or so uh, from those funds. So that's on the horizon yet for us to continue to look at, too, because the stimulus money ends after 2011.
1: Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, in a matter of scale in Columbus, how much money Uh – $4
4: $4 million over two years. And again, that's categorical. It's Title I, uh, students with special needs. Um, maybe a prop up of 700000 in terms of, of of helping, you know, the general fund. Uh, so it, it wasn't all uh, all entirely help or, you know, replacing those. Um, but, you know, I'm concerned about the cliff effect uh, that this might create too. And, and I know that the legislature is talking about uh, – possible transfers of funds from other funds, Uh, we are uh, tripping the caps, uh, the circuit breakers in Columbus. So our CPF budget will be down about $360,000. So to say that you're going to have extra funds to move over is going to be difficult. And if there's a lot of strings attached to that, such as if you take – if you transfer funds – from one fund over to the general fund, uh, the, the you can't lay off teachers, or or you know there's some strings that you can't give raises. You can't, you know, a lot of <laughs> strings attached. Uh, you might also be uh, perpetuate a cliff effect down the road. Mm-hmm. So uh, these these are very complex issues.
5: So this language working its way through the state legislature that would allow you to transfer from one item to the other really doesn't sound like it solves a whole lot for you.
4: It it doesn't. Now I mean I appreciate some flexibility, uh, but. If, and it doesn't feel real flexible if there are strings that are tying
2: you down at the same time we're giving you flexibility. So
4: I guess that would be the caution.
2: The strings I think John is referring to include uh, amendments that uh, would prohibit reducing teaching staff if you were going to transfer money from one fund to the general fund or a str- string okay. that would prohibit um, – um, um, now, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry.
1: I think it would prohibit pay raises for well, money I mean, for
2: or, or, or that would change what I was thinking. Of was, uh, if, if class teaching ratio to teacher to student is uh, increased, that would be a prohibitive for transferring monies to general funds. Mm-hmm. Those really, in my mind, essentially neutralize the impact of what the legislation's purpose mm-hmm. is in the first place. So we've asked the local representatives uh, – Mr. Uh, Representative Cook, Representative Welch, and Senator Simpson to please consider that in their points of view as, as they represent us on those
5: laws. Well, this this to me gets to a, a bigger issue um, and that is does the legislature really get it when it comes to education funding and, and have they seem to have gotten it over the last couple of years?
3: Well, I, in my response to that is is that uh, some do, most don't. Um, It's my understanding that many of the legislators, when they were talking about developing the transfer language from other funds to the general fund, were asking questions as simplistic as what is this increment that everybody's talking about? And if the legislators don't understand the, the term increment and what it means, there's no way in the world they understand the complexities of
1: the school budget. Okay, We have one minute to go and we have John on the phone. John, do you have a very quick question?
2: I hope I don't speak too broadly, but I want to say that priorities is a word that continues to come up, and I think it can't be said enough. When it comes to priorities, the money we've spent on Wall Street, on Iraq and Afghanistan, and to build a transcontinental highway, we have the money. I'm wondering if it might not be better at some point, and I'm speaking at this point to those people in the county who like that extra 1% or 2% of their income rather than putting that into schools. I wonder if... And this is a question I'll raise to them. If it might not be better to acknowledge that while education is a concern in this country, that it's not a priority. And instead of using code words like accountability and standardized testing facts and talking about how much teachers make, if if this is a case where maybe it might not be better just to say, let's privatize the the education system. Any thoughts on that? Well,
1: you know what? We don't have time for thoughts on that. But but that was a very good thought by you, John, and we really appreciate your calling. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank J.T. Koopman, John Quick, and David Schaefer. Thanks, of course, to Stan Justrepsky for being here. Regan McCarthy was our producer today, and John Shelton was our engineer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.